everyone, welcome to the ninth episode of the Sports Good Podcast, where we are delighted to welcome on Anfield Agenda and Mundo Sporto Pundit, Chris Stonich. I want to express my delight that we have the opportunity to welcome on two guests in the space of two months, the first time we've had this opportunity in five months. Obviously, we welcomed on Peter Lockhart from Ulster Rugby Lad last month, and this month we're welcoming on Chris Stonich from Anfield Agenda and Mundo Sporto. We discussed a wide range of topics on the podcast, such as Liverpool Football Club and journalism. A number of the Liverpool-related topics we discussed were recent signings, future signings, youth academy development and squad depth, and also how we can react if we, let's say, are subject to a number of significant injuries to a number of our crucial players throughout the season. We also spoke about journalism-related topics, such as the traditional university route to, we would say, establish yourself on the journalism scene, but also speaking about a few journalism opportunities that are open at the moment and a few journalism opportunities we have both taken in our respective journeys. And we also spoke about a few of our collective aspirations for journalism in the future. I will be updating everyone on the progress of the podcast towards the end of the show, but I feel it's only a fitting occasion that we pass it on to myself and Chris. Hello everyone, so we're joined here today by Chris Donage, who is a pundit for Anfield Agenda and Mundo Sporto. How are you, Chris, today? I'm not bad, Luke. How are you, bud? I'm good, yeah. Let's get started into the questions. So we'll start with the Liverpool-related questions, and we have around six or seven Liverpool-related questions. So without further ado, will we get into the first one? Um, what are your expectations for the summer arrivals at Liverpool this season? Do you think Darwin Nunes, do you think he'll hit the ground running immediately? Do you think Fabio Carvalho can, we would say, add that creative edge? Do you think Calvin Ramsey can start to challenge for the first team a bit, maybe really display that proficient level at FA Cup level, essentially. What are your expectations for those three coming into this season? Um, I think it's key not to get too too carried away, especially with the younger players. Darwin Nunes is only 22 as well. I know the price tag might might put him off um, being judged in this way, but he's still a young player. Um, I think he'll feature a lot more than the other two, though. Um, I, I don't know, mate. It's a, it's a weird one. Um, I, I don't expect too much because I think what we've got already in place is fantastic. Um, I think Harvey Elliott is going to come through and have a good season as well. Um, but I think obviously Nunes is going to play the most. I think he'll score, probably score 20 goals on a good season. Cavalli, I think, will feature more and more throughout the season. But I expect to see Roberto Firmino in that position um, more often than not at the start of the year. Um, and Calvin Ramsey... Uh, as you mentioned, I think you. To be honest, mate, I'm not going to be harsh. Uh, I think he's going to be a, a money ball signing. I think we're buying him now, um, and then going to sell him for profit in two or three years' time, purely because uh, it's the worst time in the world to be a Liverpool right back because he'll have to wait 15 years to get a first team opportunity to get past Trent. Yeah, that is exactly right. So, like, if I were Calvin Ramsey and I were offered the spot to play for Liverpool. A part of me would say, yeah, let's do it. Let's sign for Liverpool. But a part of me would be like, do I really want to be behind in the pecking order compared to Trent Alexander-Arnold for the most part of my career at the top level? Or should I maybe move to a lower Premier League club? I would have moved to a lower Premier League club just to get that game time. But obviously, Calvin Ramsey has ambitions of his own and we need to respect those. So, As well, like, 
he can learn from Trent Alexander-Arnold as well, which could make him a better player in the future. Look, I've been very dismissive. He's only 18 years old. He could be very, very special. He could be. He, he certainly can play right wing. He certainly can play central midfield as well. But um, yeah, it's been very dismissive and very um, defeatist of me. But I just don't see anything uh, happening with him getting into the first team. I, I just don't. Yeah, I understand. I agree to a certain extent. Um, my second question is. Do you believe an attacking midfielder is maybe essential to, you would say, extracting that creative edge out of the team? Or do you believe that can be compensated by your prowess of our fullbacks and our pressing system? What do you think? Do you think that attacking slash creative midfielder is essential? Or do you think we can do without it for another season? I think that the word essential is very, very... It, it depends how, how you use it. Um, because realistically... Liverpool Football Club last season were won two trophies and were very close to winning two others. Um, so it's difficult and scored 147 goals. So it's difficult to say that we weren't creative. Um, but in terms of changing things up, keeping them fresh, um, I think it's it's something different, and it'll be exciting to see. Um, people are saying a lot about four two three one this season. Um, I think we'll still see a lot of the normal four three three with maybe the four two three one thrown in. Um, which is which is great, um, but yeah, I think I think a lot of people say we need essential, like it's desperate. Like, man, I I, I was used to to the days of Downing, Jovanovic, and, and Joe Cole when I grew up, and that that for me, like I'm living in dreamland right now, and I understand it might seem a little bit. Um, I know, like I'm not, I don't want to push on and succeed because there's nothing I want more, but. Like, I'm just happy it's it's surreal to be where we are at the moment. Yeah, like, I personally agree that sometimes we would say Liverpool fans that have, we would say, recently supported the club, they become a little entitled and they want to really compare ourselves to those other clubs with the greater budgets. A lot of Liverpool fans, they want the squad depth of Man City. They want to almost model the City squad depth. And I feel a lot of us need to be realistic that that isn't really possible because... Most summers, whenever we're trying to compete with Man City on a transfer front, they just expand once again with like another big signing. And we have been able to deal with that on the pitch before. Let's say in summer 2019, whenever we only signed Sek Vandenberg, Hervey Elliott and Adrian, neither of those three were marquee signings. And then you saw City bringing in the likes of Howe Cancelo into the squad. People thought we would struggle to compete, but we did. So I think a lot of it is just down to ourselves being fortunate with injuries rather than building up that squad depth and trying to compete financially and in terms of creative midfield I think it's more down to us struggling to break down games rather than us not being creative or not attacking so I feel that's really my my take on it now we'll move on to the third question can, let's say, youth academy starlets such as Kay Gordon or Tyler Morton, do you think they can, we would say, feature even slightly more compared to last season? Because I know their minutes were limited last season. And in my personal opinion, I don't think either of them are physically developed enough to play in the first team. But what is your take on it? Do you think they could maybe get like a few more minutes in the cup, maybe get a few substitute appearances in the league, in the Champions League? And maybe if there's an injury crisis, they might start a major game what's your opinion um well i think last year we saw 
I, I, I really like both of them, by the way. I think they're great. Um, I think, as you mentioned, maybe they're not physically developed enough yet, but I think Tyler Morton re- just really impressed with his maturity levels. You'd think he was 25, 26, not just 19 or 20. Um, and, yeah, I think he'll play cup games because there doesn't seem to be any sign of him going out on loan, um, which which is good. Um Kate Gordon is, is another one because realistically, I, I, I don't see us signing a right-sided forward. I think in the league, uh, we'll, we'll see Jota, maybe Diaz play out there or if Mo Salah can't stay fit, um, which I'm, I highly doubt I think he will stay fit. Um, but I think he will be the first choice uh, for right, right-sided right forward in, in the cup competitions. Even, like, people forget this year, at just 17 years old, uh, he scored his first goal for Liverpool against Shrewsbury and played in the Carabao Cup semi-final against Arsenal away from home and probably should have scored in that game as well. Um, so, yeah, I think he's going to be, he's going to go right to the top, Kate Gordon, um, or at least be a regular fixture for us. Um, I'm not so sure, but um, I really like him anyway. I think he'll be a Premier League player anyway. And, from your expertise, could you give us like a brief time frame of when you believe Kay Gordon could start thoroughly challenging for that first team in like let's say do you think it'll be two seasons or three seasons or four seasons? What's your personal opinion? In terms of properly challenging and being a, a, a main say probably when he's about twenty one, twenty two. I think that'd be fair enough. He might he might have a loan spell away. Um but I think players these days take longer to develop. Um uh, that's why I've still got true faith in Curtis Jones um, because I think the players take longer to develop now than they used to. I, I just used the example of Jesse Lingard, like a player who was, at, who was basically nothing playing in the championship at 24, like br- was unbelievably impressive for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Manchester United um, and, and helped them get to, to second place um, in, in that season and, and scored nine in 16 for West Ham. Um, Virgil van Dijk's another one. Um, Celtic at 24 best defender in the world at 30 um, th- there's plenty more and I, I, ju- I just think nowadays it, because it's so demanding physically you need your body to be ready and, and more toned uh, especially in a Jürgen Klopp team so I'd probably say three to four years time for Kate Gordon maybe I'll have a loan spell in between that yeah thanks so much and then for another question is I feel this is quite an interesting and hypothetical one if one Liverpool player other than Virgil van Dijk, who obviously missed the 2021 season through injury, were to be ruled out for the remainder of the season through injury, who would you say would be the most significant loss out of all of our, we would say, mainstay players in the Liverpool squad? At the current moment, um, oh, blimey, that's hard. I'd probably just about... see. I'll go through the options. I mean, Allison's an option, but I think Queeving Kelleher is a very apt backup. Um, Van Dijk, obviously, as you mentioned, you can't pick him. So Trent's fantastic, uh, but I think Alvin Ramsey will will be a good backup for him. And if he did get injured, I think we keep Nico Williams as well. Um, I think because of the lack of depth in the role, um, I'm going to say Mo Salah. Um, I think even though he's got a year left on his deal, he's going to be vital next year. Absolutely vital. Um, especially because we've got no cover on that right-hand side now. Um, we still have, we haven't had any for, for ages. So, um, yeah, Mo Salah would be it, purely because of the lack of coverage. Alisson or Fabinho are shouts as well, but for me, Mo Salah. 
yeah, I would agree agree with you to that degree. And that's why I've personally thought that maybe we should consider a right-sided player to sign for the club this season. And that really leads me on to my next question. Are you satisfied with the squad coming into this season? Like, it's likely that we're not going to sign anyone for the remainder of the window. Are you satisfied with the squad? Or do you think we really need to push on and sign that one more player to really be 100% confident that we can challenge Man City for the title this season? I'm I'm 100% confident we'll challenge whatever. Um, I I have no doubt in this team, to be honest with you. I don't think we've really improved, but I don't think we've regressed this window. I think we're at the same sort of level. Um, I, I do agree with you. We do need one more forward, I think. Um, so that would make it a ten out of ten window for me. Yeah, and because we, we've already we've already bought in Nunez, Kalai, Ramsey, three players who have the age down. That I think that's for me the the really important thing is to be able to transition our age uh, down into, into something more hungry, and being able to, but at the same time continue to challenge whilst we're doing that. Um, and yeah, I, I think we'll be fine. I, I genuinely do. Uh, I think we'll challenge all. All fronts, um, Premier League and Champions League, also obviously the most important. But I've I've seen a lot of fans say, "Oh, I don't care about the cups." I've I've I love the cups, man. The cups were fantastic this year. I was at Wembley for the Carabao Cup final, and it's one of the best experiences I've ever had. So what? What? I I personally don't understand it, but I think we'll try and challenge on all four fronts, but with a particular focus on the, on the Premier League. And let's say we were to look at like a right-sided player to sign for Liverpool this summer. Who would be your like number one option to obviously fill that Mo Salah backup role? Um, it's a very difficult one because I think the 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 market is void of a, a sort of right winger of this stature. Um, I I've, there's multiple options here. It depends where where you want to go. Do you want to go for an experienced winner um, who probably won't be happy to sit on the bench? And that's Serge Gnabry. Um, I think he's very underrated, um, and his goal scoring record is undeniable. Even especially you know, like a Bayern Munich team which has Robert Lewandowski in it, uh, he, he still puts up very good numbers. Um, Cody Sacco from from PSV, um, he, he's someone who um, I've kept a close eye on this this season. Uh, I still think he's got maturing to do, and he may be going to Leeds United, but. Um, at 22, six foot two, um, he's got unique skills and, and attributes to, to bring in. But to be honest, those are the only two really that that I can think of that would be right. And uh, I, I wouldn't surprise me to see us go and sign a young player as well. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that front as well. And I think this is a very interesting question. And it is obviously regarding Mo Salah once again. Obviously, a lot of Liverpool-related news stories are dominated by Mo Salah as he's obviously one of the star players of our club and hasn't secured his future for the club for obviously the foreseeable future. And my main question is, do you believe that Salah will or will not sign a new contract? I'm 60% saying that he won't and 40% saying that he will. What's your opinion and read on it? It's very, I'm pretty similar to you, actually, because I did a chat with Pipe Sierra on Mundo Sporto um, a couple of days ago, well, a couple of weeks ago, actually, and he said that the words he said were, next month, Rami Abbas will definitely meet with FSG, um, which, for me, is good news, positive news, um, because, obviously, they had started talks in December, and their way off, um, and I think I think it is human nature to compromise in the end. Um, I'm I'm sure Mo Salah will see the fact that Liverpool are investing. He'll never be loved anywhere else, like he is there. 
Um, I think it's slightly different to Mane um, in the, in the fact that Salah just burst like crazy on the scene at Liverpool. Yes, he had a couple of good seasons at Roma, but he, he's totally changed the game. Um, but one one thing that's saying it to me that he won't uh, is that Lionel Messi's contract at Paris Saint Germain runs up next summer, and PSG will will need to sign somebody uh, in that in that in that position. I know he's not strictly on the right anymore, but um, a player of Mo Salah's um, gravitas and quality will certainly be enough to, to fill Messi's void. And I think, uh, yeah, that's the only thing that's telling me that he's not going to. But they are going to meet, so that's at least some positive news. It is positive, although. I don't know if we're really going to be able to meet his demands. Obviously, his demands appear to be sky high and they may be really out of our financial constraints and may break our wage structure. But obviously, it is positive that that they are meeting with FSG and that the talks are ongoing. But I think whenever Mo Salah can see that it is a short career and that he can earn what he wants to earn at Pastures New, I don't know if he'll be too obligated to stay at Liverpool despite all the the passion that Liverpool fans and we would say the members of the Liverpool squad and the members of the Liverpool staff like really display to him. I think if you have that opportunity to earn that money with such a limited career, it's it's so hard to turn down because you may never get be presented with that opportunity again. So I think I'd say a part of him from the heart may say, I'll stay at Liverpool and become a club legend and I think for if for the benefit of his game, I think Liverpool staying at Liverpool is best for him. But his brain may say that the money's there. I may need that money later in life. I might, I may want to retire with that money. Why not I go with the money and maybe sacrifice my performances to a degree and sacrifice my my reputation as a player and maybe build up a reputation as a slight mercenary. But obviously. You are you are number one at the end. You put yourself before the club in in most circumstances, regardless of what other supporters or coaches or journalists believe. Yeah, for sure, it's a, it's a very intriguing situation. But I think I can speak for all Liverpool fans to say, please just tell us what's going on. <laughs> yeah, it's so confusing. I'm, it's it, I just don't know where it is, and I don't think anyone knows where it is other than Mo Salah. Rami Ababas and FSG and Jurgen Klopp and maybe they even might be a bit disorientated of what the current situation is so it's incredibly confusing but it will reach its conclusion conclusion at sort of the middle to latter stages of the following season and then the final Liverpool question is where do you see Curtis Jones's season going do you think he'll really start to kick on or do you think this will be another season of stop-start for Curtis Jones? Do you think this is the season where he really starts to display that talent? Or do you think he will still be sort of there in the background, still struggling really to get game time? Or do you think this is the season where he really sort of takes it by the scruff of the neck and really is hurriedly challenging for that first team? What's your opinion? It's a very difficult one, this, because... Um... He's someone who I absolutely adore. I think he's someone who could go on and have an unbelievable uh, career at Liverpool. Um, and I think with the injury proneness of our midfield, I think he'll get more minutes this season. I think he people forget how good he was at the start of this season. Um, they really do. Um, that performance at Porto in the Champions League, the performance against Man City at home in the league, 
even well, even towards the back end of the season against Southampton away in the league, he was fantastic. Um, he started very some very big games, um, but that eye injury derailed him. Um, and I understand that he probably hasn't made the progress fans would have ever have liked, and for him to become Gerard Light. But I, to be fair, I just I just don't get. I do not understand the vitriol he gets on social media. It's just madness. Um, I also understand that some people think that he gets a, a light run off because he's scouse, and that might be slightly true. Um, but I, I, I'm of the firm belief that he has a long-term future at Liverpool, um, and that he can, well, at least can progress next season. I still don't know what if he knows what his best position is. Um, I think in that left central midfield role of our four-two-three, he's best, um, which would mean he's a backup to Thiago, and that's absolutely fine. That is no. That's no um, bad thing for anybody because uh, he won't play every game either. So if he's a, a Thiago backup, sound. That's no problem at all. Um, and he can develop a lot then. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree there. Like, obviously, the ability and the desire is there and even the physicality to a degree. But it just really is that he isn't really getting games under his belt and he really isn't getting a consistent run. And you need games to improve. Like, nothing replaces the, the, like, the sensation of playing a game and competing against the very best that's how you get better that's how you're that's how you develop into a top player and Curtis Jones isn't really getting those opportunities and it's no fault of his own it's not really the fault of the coaching staff it's just we would say it's down it's down to utter fate and injuries and unfortunate circumstances and it's a shame but hopefully this is the same yeah yeah like there's Obviously, that will help him. So, let's say we bring on three subs that may be crucial to the, we would say, the tactical management of the game. But then you can bring on another two. So, let's say there's an injury. You have the opportunity. Maybe one comes on for that. And maybe there's also another opportunity to bring on a sub just to give them some game time. And that's excellent. I know a lot of people said that the five-sub rule is really an opportunity for the bigger clubs to unload depth. But... I actually disagree because I feel it can also benefit the smaller clubs because they actually have limited depth as well. And whenever, let's say, you're playing week in, week out, let's say you're playing every week, you will start to struggle with fatigue. So let's say you can come off 20 minutes before the game ends and bring on another player who can obviously replace that player. They could get opportunities. It could build depth in the smaller teams. And obviously reduce the pressure on the, the main players of those smaller teams. So I think it's an excellent idea, in my opinion, and I think it will benefit the whole league. So I think... With the crazy amount of football yeah. now, um, it's the only way that they could appease the managers um, is by putting the five-sub rule in. Um, and for me, I, I, I completely agree with you. I jump for joy when it when it got announced as well because I'm just looking forward to using our football manager and developing some more younger players on there. So um but no um yeah it's gonna be it's it's gonna be a really interesting season next season. I think a lot more young players will get opportunities. And how would you say the World Cup will actually impact the performances of certain teams? Do you think we could maybe witness a few upsets in the league or a few we would say rather awkward results as a result of the World Cup? Certain players will be fatigued certain players will be fresher. Maybe there will be like a smaller team who doesn't have many players at the World Cup who could potentially maybe overachieve or a bigger team who has many players at the World Cup potentially underachieving. 
do you think the World Cup could potentially impact the course of the following Premier League season? Oh, I think it has to, but I, I, I'd be foolish to say anything of what I think will happen because we've never had such an extended break apart from COVID before. So um, I, I really, I really don't know. What I will, what I will say is that I'm very happy that some of our players aren't going. E.g., Luis Diaz and Mo Salah, um, they can stay at home and just train. Um, maybe play some under twenty three games or friendlies or whatever. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just happy they're not going. I, I'd be very happy if England players didn't get called up. Um, I mean, I, I'd be, I'd be buzzing if, if people like, if our, if the other right backs in the league had great seasons and Trent didn't get in the squad. Um, to be honest, international football does not bother me. Um, I know I'll be doing some some content on it uh, in the World Cup time, but like, it, it's not something that truly bothers me. Uh, I don't support England. I, I have an affinity to Wales, but that's that's it. Like, that's that's as far as it goes. Yeah, I'd agree with you on that front. I'd be passionate about Ireland if they were in a major tournament, but the instance of that happening is quite rare at the moment. So to be honest, I'm not too concerned about international football and I'm mainly focused on club football and the success of the club and the players obviously surrounding the club. Now we're going to be moving on to a few of the journalism related questions. And the first question is fairly obvious. What inspired you to pursue a career in journalism essentially? Um, I, my parents would be the best one to ask about this because um, when I was younger, um, and I'm talking very young, like five, six, um, I didn't watch kids' TV. I watched Sky Sports News on repeat and memorised um, all of like the transfers from that season. But I, to this day, I can tell you now that Leon Court went to Stoke for two hundred thousand pounds in two thousand and eight or nine. Like this is this is some some random random stuff. Albert Riera came to Liverpool. Like. <laughs> Loads, loads, and loads of just just sitting there and memorizing like like that, like that, like that, and um, it was a dream of destiny, really. Um, and it's something that I've, I've pursued. Obviously, the divisions changed a lot since, uh, well, since lockdown, really. Um, but but yeah, it's always been a dream to 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 write, talk, and and uh, make videos about football because. I, I was never good enough to play it professionally and I've got the passion of a professional. So um, I think that it's the second best thing. Yeah, I personally agree because obviously to coach, that's so exclusive and you kind of need a history as a player and that's even another level of ex- exclusivity. So I feel journalism is really, in my opinion, the next best thing and you can really exploit your passion for the game through journalism and through reporting and through actually getting up close to football royalty and to sporting royalty so I think in my opinion there's no other job in the world that really offers so much adrenaline adrenaline compared to journalism and sports broadcasting in my opinion and my second question is can you describe to our viewers what a university course in journalism entails because I'm I'm aware that you're studying journalism is it in Cardiff at the moment because you introduced yourself on your first Mundo um, Sport of video. Specifically, yeah. So um, I, I've i been on the course for two years. Um, it's brilliant. Um, what I will say is that the, the city does help. Um, Cardiff as a city is magnificent, um, sporting-wise. Um, I've had so many opportunities, um, both through the uni's making and through my own making. Um, so for three years, before, before I um, 
for a couple of years before I started Union, and until recently, I used to write for a site called Frost International. Um, they got me into to stadiums to record on games during lockdown as well. Um, Cardiff City, Swansea City, Newport County, the, the vast majority. I also went to Aston Villa, um, West Bromwich Albion whilst they were in the Premier League. Um, I was actually there for the game where, where um, I can't remember, was it, what's his name? Thingy Mason. Um, he he gave um, three different penalties. Uh, he had changed his mind and didn't change his mind. It was mad. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, uh, the university is amazing. Like the first year, obviously da- damaged by COVID, but um, still had those opportunities. Second year, we've been in person the whole time. Um, and going into the last year now, which is going to be the hardest of them all. Um, but I'm really looking forward to just getting cracking with it starting in September. So um, you do, it's vastly practical. Um, and yeah, it's going to be class. Yeah, that's obviously a really great insight for a lot of our viewers who are personally interested in journalism and want to make that next step from it being an interest to becoming a profession. So the third question is, do you have any like role models or idols in journalism or presenting? Um, yeah, there's several. Um, in, in journalism, I really look to um, Jonathan Liu from uh, The Guardian. I think he's fantastic. Um, also, I have a friend of mine, a real close friend of mine, Jacob Tanswell, who's just signed up for The Athletic to be their Southampton writer. But I used to write with him across international really close. Um, and even when he had about 200 followers, I was reading every piece of his work. He's unbelievable. And now he's getting deserved credit because um, he worked for the form of Echo. And I, I love his writing style. It's beautiful. Like, it's stunning. Um, it, but in presenting and broadcasting, Derek Ray, um, I, I interviewed him in 2020. And... Uh, I was just totally inspired by him. Uh, he gets bantered a lot on social media because he says names weirdly. He's just pronouncing them the right way. Like that, that's that's the thing. He, he's fluent in German, fluent in everything. He's, I think he's a very informative, natural commentator. Uh, and David Garrido as well um, from Sky Sports, another one I interviewed um, back in 2020. Um, he, I met him just before lock, just before COVID. I went for a tour of Sky Sports. Um, and I met him and he was really kind. He was like, yeah, I'll come on, I'll do anything for you. Yeah, you're really... He's a lovely, lovely fella. So I, I would say those people, yeah. Yeah, I would have a few journalism and presenting inspirations myself. Obviously, a number of the tier one Liverpool sources I look to for inspiration. Obviously, I got to invite one of my journalism role models, Neil Jones, who I obviously read a lot of his writing onto the podcast earlier in, in this season in December and obviously like a number of the other Liverpool tier one sources such as James Pearce, Melissa Reddy, Ian Doyle, a lot of those top tier Liverpool Liverpool sources. I really enjoy their writing because that's the level I want to reach effectively in the future. And I think what they do and what they offer on a regular basis is really reassuring for us Liverpool fans sometimes they may not be able to offer that really honest opinion because obviously they do have constraints in relation to press rooms and you don't obviously want to rock the boat or upset the apple cart. but I feel overall they do a respectable job and they present us with honest opinions rather than we would say fabricated stories that don't really have any truth and present many fans with a sense of false hope so yeah, I think what they're all doing is an exceptional job and long may it continue. So on to the next question, and that is, um, 
what is your career vision for five or ten years from now? Where do you see yourself or where do you want to be? Um, I want to be making a good wage so I can <laughs> live in a house. Um, honestly, if I tell you how I'm going to be making money in five years, I don't know. Um, so let me rewind five years, right? I'm 20 now, so let me talk about when I was 15. Um, I was... I wrote a lot. Um, I was doing... A, I had a medium page for myself. Um, I, it's basically just writing, writing, writing. I think it's for GCSE year, actually, GCSEs and, and, and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, it was all about writing for me at that point. Started a podcast called The Young Ones, um, which was a chat show, um, and it was great fun. Stopped that in twenty in in sort of well, well, I started a podcast when I was in twenty nineteen. Um, then another one called My Five, which was an absolute belter, by the way. I still love the idea. It was, um, it was five. Uh, it was every a guest on every week, and it was their five favorite sports stars of all time, local strength. Absolutely incredible idea. Feel free to nick it. Um, and <laughs> um, and then in lockdown, lockdown changed everything. Absolutely everything because I had my A levels that year, and I was putting loads of focus on my A levels. Right. Um, I'd got my offer from university, but I was like, I'm going to smash these A-levels. And then they stopped. They didn't happen. So I learned Premiere. I, I decided to teach myself Adobe Premiere Pro, Adobe Photoshop, and how to how to make videos. And that's changed everything. I, I had a YouTube channel called Total Sport, which uh, no longer exists, sadly. Uh, but it was great. It was really good fun. Um, and then moved to LFC Transfer Room uh, in 2021, um, before obviously joining LMP Agenda in October. Um, and, and in the writing world, I wrote for the LSE Transfer Room, paid, and I also now write for Sport Bible. Like, this is some mad stuff that, that just, just changed everything. You know, I, I would have said five years ago I want to be a feature writer um, in probably working for, like, The Times or something like that. Now I, I say, mate, I want to be a YouTuber. <laughs> like, that's, that's as far as it goes. But then, like, honestly, if, I, if I, as long as I'm creating about football, creating content about football in any medium I'm happy with that yeah that's great and the next question is do you hold an interest in we would say covering any additional sports or topics in your career or is it just football strictly what's sort of your consensus on all of that um that's it's a very good question um I'm a massive cricket fan um in, in an hour's time I'm going to sit myself in front of my tv and watch the test match um, because that's what I do. That's what I did when I was a kid. Um, as well as watching uh, Sky Sports News, I used to sit there religiously and watch football um, and cricket and, and anything really. I used to love Formula One. I can't stand it now because it's popular. So, um, <laughs> but um, no, cricket is something I absolutely love. I've got a passion for. I still play it occasionally when I can. Um, and my brother's a massive fan. My dad's a massive fan. My uncle's an absolutely huge fan. He travels across the world to see them. Uh, England cricket play, um, but mm, or, or in terms of on on Mundo Sport, I probably not um, because I think football is is the best way. I'm not gonna be around the bush. It's the only thing that gets views. <laughs> like I'm not gonna lie. Like if people were, were tuning in to watch cricket, like I, I think they'd watch somebody else than me. Um, but um, yeah, I think I think yeah, cricket is something I want to I want to pursue sometime in the future, but. Um, definitely not something that I, I'm looking to cover on, on YouTube. Yeah, I personally hold an interest in covering other sports such as, uh, I like rugby personally, I like covering that, it's incredibly popular in Ireland. I am 
I did some. I, I, I'm not a fan of rugby, but uh, earlier this year I went to the uh, Millennium Stadium to cover the Welsh uh, regional finals. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing, but <laughs> it was. Uh, I was like, oh, and blank team scores a try. There we go. Happy days. <laughs> oh, nice, interesting. I'd like to do that personally, but yeah, I, I, I personally like rugby. I, I like Formula One to a degree. I kind of agree that it has sort of lost its authenticity ever since Liberty Media has come in and bankrolled the sport personally. And yeah, I, I like those two sports personally and I like covering them and like evaluating the state of both sports. And hopefully I can, we would say, break into all three industries of football, rugby and Formula One in the future. So that's really my goal in the future, effectively. Oh, you, you go for it, mate. Absolutely, just do do stuff. That's all I can say. That's my advice. Thanks so much. And before we finish off, we have one more question, and that is, um, how did the opportunities with Anfield Agenda and Mundo Sporto and obviously Sports Bible, how did they all come up? We only have one minute twenty five remaining in the meeting, so we'll answer the question. Get so, get uh, it if you can answer it quickly. Um, as I mentioned, Total Sport, a, a channel for Total Sport between. Uh, March 2020 and March 2021 um, it was a year I think um, and that got me into the LSE transfer room team um, which then I got to be in their YouTube and do some writing for them um, YouTube stuff then I got on Anfield Agenda because they saw me and were like yeah I kind of like this guy um, and uh, on the writing side Sport Bible saw me and were like I kind of like this guy so it's a chain of just doing stuff um, which which is which has got me got me to where I am, um, and because I never like to stop moving. Like I, I'm someone who's very passionate about keeping going. So uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's all come about very very nicely. And as long as I can pay the bills at the end of the day, that's the, that's the goal. Yeah, I personally agree with you. I'm personally a bit of a workaholic when it comes to journalism and presenting. I do a lot for school matches and for local matches, and I also do a lot of my own personal content. And I feel that really builds your own personal portfolio. But it also builds your passion and experience for journalism. And hopefully I can continue to obviously build that portfolio and gain more recognition in the future. Anyway, thanks for the opportunity, Chris. And we'll speak again soon. Thanks so much. Anyhow, I hope everyone enjoyed that ninth episode of the Sports Good Podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed recording it and editing it. I also felt it was a positive experience to discuss football in a professional manner after not being able to do so for a number of months. I also enjoyed discussing journalism experiences and aspirations with an up-and-coming journalist who will achieve great things in their career. And now to an important part of the episode, and that is the future of the podcast. I'm delighted to announce that I've entered talks with a number of potential regular contributors for the podcast. And to explain what the role of a regular contributor will entail, here it is. A regular contributor will accompany me on a show where we'll discuss about a certain theme and sports. And we feel this is a great opportunity to grow the consistency of the podcast and also to grow the following of the podcast. And that obviously translates into more success for the podcast. I hope everyone likes and admires this idea and hopefully we can continue on with it for the future. So I think without further ado, why not we say goodbye? Um, obviously, I want to thank everyone for the support over the last number of months and wish them all a good evening. Goodbye.